0: We interrupt this broadcast with some important news Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week it's time, it's, time it's time
1: for Taiwan This Week
0: Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me your host Gavin Phipps And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Ross Feingold Good evening And Xing
2: Chung Good to see you here.
0: And we'll begin this week with recent events in waters near Jingmen continuing to grab headlines here and in other countries. This past weekend, China's Coast Guard announced plans to, in its words, strengthen its law enforcement activities and carry out more patrols in waters around both Jingmen and Matsu. On Monday, a Taiwan registered sightseeing vessel, which was operating in waters some 2.8 nautical miles northwest of Jingmen's Sha Zhao Island, was intercepted by two Chinese Coast Guard boats and boarded by Chinese maritime officials. They The boat and asked to see the crew members' documentation. Now, a Taiwan Coast Guard patrol boat was then dispatched to the area and escorted the sightseeing vessel back to Jingmen after the Chinese maritime officials had finished their inspection. Now, the Coast Guard administration says the Jingsha veered slightly off course due to multiple shoals, and while such incidents have happened in the past, it was the first time that a sightseeing vessel had been boarded by Chinese officials. Now, on Tuesday, several Chinese vessels were spotted near Matsu, and that same day, family members. Members Of the two Chinese nationals who died last week after their speedboat capsized when they were attempting to invade a Coast Guard administration patrol boat arrived in Jingmen to hold their funeral rituals. On Wednesday, reports surfaced saying that a Taiwan Coast Guard patrol boat made multiple collisions with the speedboat while it was pursuing it in waters of Jingmen, causing the fatal capsizing. Now, the Coast Guard administration at the time refused to comment on those reports, saying an investigation was ongoing. But on Thursday, the administration admitted that the fatal capsizing of the Chinese speedboat was caused by a collision with one of its patrol boats after the Chinese vessel was trying to avoid being boarded and inspected. Now there was no footage of said incident as Coast Guard Administration Deputy Director Xu Jingzhe says that his officers could not hold a camera during the pursuit due to the rocking of their patrol boat. Now the patrol boat was also not equipped with monitoring systems and officers were not required to wear body cameras. Now the Administration Deputy Director says all Coast Coast guard personnel working on similar patrol boats will now be equipped with body cameras in the future now the coast guard administration on thursday also said that it will be willing to pay compensation to the families of the two dead chinese nationals if it is proven it was responsible for the collision so ross a lot happened there of course last week this week rather with all that
1: yeah i'm getting seasick just listening to the to the, the way the facts keep moving along and changing Uh, The Coast Guard administration's not coming off looking so good here. Uh, First they say A happened, then they say B happened within a day, or they say B didn't happen, when everyone would assume that it would have happened, such as the use of uh, cameras on the Coast Guard vessel or body cams on the personnel uh, who who were on board. Uh, you know, what could we hope for here, Gavin, other than some transparency? And uh, as you mentioned, the, they seem inclined at this point already relatively quickly to pay compensation. Uh, whether that will actually happen, who knows? And the amounts probably wouldn't satisfy the family who lost their loved ones. Uh, but I, I am uh, disappointed by the... The the changing stories and the lack of transparency it, it just doesn't make the Taiwan government and speci- specifically sorry the Ocean Affairs Council or or the Coast Guard Administration which is uh, a, an agency under the Ocean Affairs Council they just, they, they just don't look good here uh, and. Why? You know, they they really seem to need a big improvement in their processes there over at the Coast Guard Administration.
0: And Xiao, I mean, do you think the government and these government agencies were too busy pointing the finger at China rather than going, oh, maybe we'll investigate it, tell people we'll investigate it? There was four guys on the boat. It wasn't like you have to interview 200 crew members and they could have found out quite quickly what actually happened.
2: Right. Um, I think they recently re- released a recording that's showing you know all kinds of maneuvers and aggressive turns by the speedboat and then that results in the, in the final collision and the dying of two uh, crew members. Um, and uh, although, you know, given it's a very tragic incident, I, I'm still glad to see that the, the Taiwanese government is taking you know precaution in remaining very calm in dealing with this, uh, th- this situation because it quickly escalated into uh, a cross-strait Uh, Issue and then even being you know the United States government you know the the foreign uh, the the State Department even uh, giving out warnings to both sides to remain calm. Um, So this is very. very clear sign that uh, this situation has been played into China, China's hands where uh, they always, you know, try to create gray zones in the uh, status quo. So being this incident that the Chinese coast Guard boarded a Taiwanese tourist boat uh, being the very first time that just a proof that they still keep poking into the, the, the edge of conflict, see what kind of uh, gray zone they can create more and more. And so that they can keep denying, you know, Taiwan's sovereignty in in its nearby waters, and then so they can create more reason to even take a step further into the next gray zone. So I I think we'll have to see if both sides can keep calm and then make sure that uh, things will not escalate out of control.
0: And of course, Ross, Xiao mentioned the zones there around Jingmen, which of course, apparently a deal was made in 1992 Hmm. for these zones to be sort of established. And of course, China said, or the government here was saying, these, they, they were created in 1992. You should adhere to them, which seems to me a bit inane because something else was talked about in 1992, but the government here refuses to adhere to that.
1: The consensus? <laughs> Is that what you're referring to? <laughs> uh, the, the It's clear that there was an understanding, even if it was an unwritten understanding, about what the zones are around Jinmen and, and what was off-limits for Chinese boats. Uh, and that had existed for decades, as you indicated, and it's analogous to the center line of of the Taiwan Strait, but uh, these are not international treaties or even bilateral agreements. Again, they seem to be an unwritten understanding that both sides have operated on or under, I should say, for decades. Uh, And China could easily do away with this off of Jinmen and Matsu, as well as uh, uh, in the center line of the Taiwan Strait. We know they've done away with the center line. So their patrols, whether in the air or at, at sea, their exercises, whether at at sea or in the air uh, do frequently cross the center line nowadays. And it looks like it's going to be the same thing uh, off of Jinmen, which means if you're going on a tourist boat off of Jinmen, you just be prepared. You know, don't bring contraband with you and uh, expect that your boat might get stopped and you'll have a longer trip because the Chinese uh, authorities are going to board your ship and maybe do an inspection of the cruise ID or, or the pa- even the passenger's ID. Uh, you know, no, Nobody is saying though, you know, because this is inherent Currently disputed. We're talking about disputed territories here, disputed waters. You know, the United States. It's not like they're saying Taiwan is absolutely in, in the right here, right? In fact, I thought the State Department spokesperson's uh, brief comments about this reflected a bit of frustration, like "Oh gosh, another cross-strait uh, incident that I have to comment on." And frankly, I didn't. I don't think he I, he spent much time understanding the intricacies of what led to this particular incident. I think he only you know, it was brought to his attention that there's some tension in the last few days between China and Taiwan, so yeah, he made a comment, and, and it was a pretty straightforward comment. Again, I, I don't think it reflects a deep understanding of the facts of this particular situation, but you know, we, we talk about these words all the time, gray zone, new normal, et cetera, et cetera, and it looks like there's going to be a new normal uh, of Chinese Coast Guard activity uh, off the coast of and Matsu. and as I said, uh, people in industry like, like uh, fishing industry or people who are going there for tourism
0: just have to be prepared Prepared for that, and of course, Xiao, the Ministry of Defence did come out and say we are not getting involved with this.
2: Oh yeah, they <laughs> <I> definitely don't <laughs> want to touch any part of this because well, that, 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 that's part of about not escalating this situation into like a cross-strait conflict or potential for conflict so uh, so it's wise that the, the, the Department of Defense staying as far away from this issue as possible but on the other hand where the General Republic stands on this is yet to be seen right because people um, on one hand um, are, are saying that we, we, we don't want this new normal to keep encroaching into Taiwan sovereignty so we're seeing that the Chinese fighter jets crossing the, the lines all the time and then we are still um, allowing a lot of boats to circle around Taiwan uh, That that is a new normal that Taiwanese people are getting more and more used to, to but at the same time we feel uh, number one insecure and more and more angered by this uh, so-called quote-unquote new normal, so that people want to uh, make sure we are prepared once uh, 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 like a mutual understanding is breached and something even happens. So you can see that a lot of uh, civil defense groups are training, um, offer training shops, and a lot of Taiwanese people are flocking to these so-called classes for uh, civil defense, for uh, war preparations. So this reflects the sentiment in Taiwan that we uh, not accepting new normal, but we are prepared for a potential war.
1: I, I think it also raises the question whether or not the Coast Guard administration being under the o- Ocean Affairs Council is the correct place for it to be. This is a law enforcement agency. And very, most of the Ocean Affairs Council other work is completely unrelated to what the Coast Guard does. You know, they regulate the fishing industry. Uh, have, have responsibility together with other agencies if, if there's a, a, an oil spill in the waters so clean waters things like that um, but this is ultimately a law enforcement agency and if you look at other countries I think they also struggle with where their their Coast Guard agency is is on the organizational chart even in the United States. For many years, it was part of the Department of Treasury. Then it became uh, part of the Department of Transportation. And then after the Homeland Security Department was established following 911, uh, the Coast Guard was moved into the Department of Homeland Security. But the Department of Homeland Security is a good place for the Coast Guard in the United States to be because a lot of its other ag- sub-agencies under the Department of Homeland Security are law enforcement agencies like the Border Patrol, for example? So, so it makes sense to to be in Homeland Security, but you know, may, maybe the Coast Guard administration should be under the Ministry of the Interior, which also oversees the police because they have a lot of experience over there with lo- dealing with law enforcement issues. And I think we see this partly with uh, the response from Ocean Affairs Council Chairwoman. Guan, Guan Biling, uh, she, she's not a law enforcement person by background. She's a legislator by background. And I think some of her statements have left the public, uh, as I said earlier, looking for transparency. And, and she's, she's been very reactive to events, and then the events or the story keeps changing. I don't think she's come off of this looking very well. I do feel some sympathy for her because, again, she's not a law enforcement person by background. Certainly doesn't, you know, before she became Ocean Affairs Council chairwoman, she didn't know much about what the Coast Guard actually does. Uh, but But I do think, given Taiwan's unique circumstances politically and its security needs, maybe the Coast Guard administration should not be under the Ocean Affairs Council and should be parked under a different ministry.
2: Yeah, I totally agree with Russ. But on the other hand, the, the waters that the, the, the Taiwanese Coast Guard operated on, is very much part of the uh, the sovereignty issue, right? Because uh, how much of the zone we want to protect and prohibit Chinese boats to venture into and what kind of uh, stance we should take and how hard we should pursue those boats and board them and inspect them and then kick, kick them out of Taiwanese waters. Those are part and parcel of, of um, Taiwan's um, so-called... Um, you know the zone or kind of gray zone that we want to operate within so that we at the same time avoid conflict but on the other hand we also maintain our sovereign waters to make sure we protect our oceanic interests and all that so uh, although the, the the Coast Guard may be you know administratively under uh, a different arm of government uh, separate from the, uh, the the military but the the issue that dealing with day to day ties very closely with uh, a potential military conflict between uh, both sides of the street
0: And Ross, I mean, obviously they haven't finished the investigation yet although the Coast Guard administration have said yes, there was a collision Do you think if they should come out and apologise post-haste well, as I said, transparency seems to be lacking here,
1: and the story seems to be migrating or moving a little bit day by day as new information is, is provided or or learned. Uh, if they're at fault, then of course they should apologize. Uh, you know, the, the danger, speaking as a lawyer, with admitting fault is it's going to increase the amount of compensation they have to they have to pay to the families of the deceased. And I, I would expect the families of the deceased uh, to suddenly hire some Taiwan lawyers and and uh, to be coming after after the government here for some cash.
2: But I, I want to warn against um, admitting folk because, you know, um, there's a term in China, uh, that means that you you pretend to be hit by a moving car <laughs> and then just lie down on the street and then ask for an enormous amount of compensation. That, that is day-to-day activity in China. So well, I'm not saying that's what's happening in this situation. I am sur- certainly hope that the, the truth will come out. But just want to make sure uh, things like this won't keep happening or maybe in the future when the Chinese government will use this kind of tactic and direct civilian boats to just venture into Taiwanese waters and then just, you know, just aggressively, you know, uh, you know fight with the you know taiwanese coast guard the boats so i am I'm, I'm just hoping that uh, this was resolved peacefully and in, in in a transparent manner just like ross alluded to
0: so xiao there's a reason the coast guard personnel should have body cameras
2: on and um, the boats should be equipped with monitoring equipment that, that's exactly right because just like uh, all cars in china i bet have uh, dash cam cameras i think uh, the coast guard uh, personnel should definitely have body cameras
1: I think people, a lot of people here, are surprised that they didn't. Uh, we, you know, we're so used to the police; you know, we see patrol officers on their scooters all, all the time. You know, again, it it's just seemed kind of surprising that that the uh, the boat didn't have cameras and the personnel didn't have body caps. You know, it's kind of like you know those incidents when there's something that happens on the street and you find out that the security cameras don't work.
0: <laughs> it, it did throw me a bit when they said that they couldn't hold a camera because the boat was rocking. You would have thought these are Coast Guard personnel. Someone would have realised that you can't hold a camera if the boat's rocking.
1: Well, I think you file that under what I said earlier about the story keeps migrating and changing and moving a bit. Uh, It's a weird thing for, for a Coast Guard to say, for sure.
0: Moving on now, Premier Chen Zhenren headed to the Legislative Yuan UN on Tuesday to give, what is possibly, his final policy address to lawmakers. Now, Legislative Speaker Hang Guo-Yu oversaw cross-party negotiations on Monday in an attempt to finalise the issues that lawmakers were hoping the Premier would touch on. Now, KMT lawmakers had demanded the Premier give a special report on food safety issues during his address. However, the negotiations quickly broke down due to the failure of the DPP and the KMT to agree on a format for such a report, and more to the point, whether the Premier should even mention food safety. Needless to say, the failure not to put food safety on the agenda led to some rather iry feelings within the KMT, and the opposition party's lawmakers temporarily obstructed Chen from giving his address by protesting the Cabinet's handling of, well, food safety issues. Now, the legislative speaker had asked the Premier to begin his address at the rather punctual time of 10.27am, but KMT lawmakers swarmed at the podium and blocked him from taking to the microphone. Chen was finally allowed to take to the podium some 40 minutes later, and only after Hang Yu called for lawmakers to take their seats, maintain order, and hold a rational debate. The Premier then gave a, well, it, they, they called it a general policy address, but it was basically, a, let's say great things about the government over the past eight years. Anyway, it touted President Tsai Ing-wen's two terms in office, Taiwan's working with other democratic countries, Taiwan's being a trustworthy partner in terms of geopolitics, international supply chains, and international law. He also talked about economic economic growth rather under the Tsai administration, an increase in defense spending, and the indigenous submarine building program. Oh, of course, Ross, there was also a fight.
1: Yeah, so we talked about a lot of things that he wasn't personally involved in since he's only been premier for you know, a short period of time. Yes, granted, he was vice president uh, during uh, President Tsai's first term, but again, he didn't have involvement in, in a lot of those issues that he, he or, or programs or policies that he referred to in his In his report, uh, there was some expectation or hope or demand that he would talk about the the food issues and the food safety issues that we're going to talk about today. Uh, But uh, maybe this is just uh, a preview of more to come in in the legislature where the Guomindang, the Chinese Nationalist Party, is the largest party, but they don't have a majority. Uh, But they they are the largest party and, and they pretty much control the agenda if we assume that uh, the Taiwan People's Party will often vote with the Goomindang, uh, and or the fact, very simple fact, that Han Guo Yu of the Chinese Nationalist Party is the legislative speaker. Uh, so, uh, I like to say um, if where I said this during the campaign season for the elections, if the president is from one party, but the largest party in the legislative U.N. is from a different party, we're going to get chaos. Uh, and uh, again, I think this is just a preview of what we'll be seeing constantly in the legislative U.N., including the fighting, uh, the chanting, the, the placards. Uh, we've seen that before from both parties, from the DPP and the Nationalist Party. They both do that. Um, I guess we'll see a lot more of that in the coming years.
0: And, Ross, tell us who was involved in the fight
1: uh, two newly elected uh, legislators, uh, Huang Jie from Kaohsiung and Xu Chaoxin from uh, Taipei City, both former city councilors, uh, both known for uh, the enormous amount of energy that they bring to their to their jobs. Uh, Xu Chaoshin has developed a reputation as somebody who uh, finds government wrongdoing and publicizes it, and I, and I think uh, she deserves credit for that. Uh, Huang Jie was a, a late replacement. Uh, on, on the uh, the candidate among the DPP candidates, after the incumbent DPP uh, legislator was caught having an extramarital affair with a woman from China, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, okay. and he was on the foreign affairs and defense committee. Uh, anyway, Huang uh, Jie also has a good reputation in Gaoyou as a very uh, active. Um, city councillor who delivered for her residence. And that's why, notwithstanding this scandal, she was she was uh, rather easily elected to fill that seat.
0: So Xiao, I mean, do you see more of this happening in the new legislature? Sort of, uh, can't do anything for 40 minutes. Hang you yells at them, tells them to sit down. And maybe they sit down, maybe they don't.
2: Well, yeah, I, I kind of agree with Ross that we're going to see many... Um, type of this fighting in in legislature but I know there's a difference between the the fighting that of this turn than the fightings in the previous turn is that um uh, I, I, and I was I expect the fighting in this turn will be more minor and just more um for example like l- this week that between two newly elected uh, female legislators who are also their first term uh, and and all, both of them have uh, national recognition so um so they you know, they are picking a fight uh, is easy national news, um, but the, the the fight is relatively minor and, and and very peaceful and resolved very quickly, and I expect that is going to be the case because if you uh, recall from last turn, um, if you remember the the pork instant intestines being thrown around in the legislature, um, the due to a boycott of KMT uh, of uh, these ruling parties, you know, the agendas so um, that's because um, right now the KMT is the de facto largest party in legislature and uh, the, new, the new speaker Han Guo Yu is from the KMT so they have an image to uphold that if they run the place like a, like a kindergarten, people are going to point the fingers on KMT saying that they have no business of running the legislature. Um, so they will not uh, put on a show and throwing around any animal you know, intestines. In this turn, uh, I was highly suspicious of that. But on the, on the same time, they certainly will put on a, sh- a lot of shelves of boycotting the government in whatever they're trying to do. But because it the KMT and with the TPP legislators, they are actually a, a majority. So they don't have to do all that shows in, in order to boycott. They can just go uh, under a, a room and then talk uh, talk and then resolve things with them, within themselves. So I think that's uh, the new normal that we're going to see here.
0: And Xiao, what do you think
2: the TPP was thinking?
0: I mean, was it looking at this going, oh my God, what do we do? Do we take this side? Do we take this side, Or should we just sit in the back and watch?
2: Uh, I, I think they are still figuring it out because they don't want to be seen as a sidekick of either party. Um, and they want to, you know, have their own agendas. Um, but, but more and more, they will see that their position is actually um, to play the, the major role. So on one point or another, they will have to side with one party or the other, um, but they, they are still trying to figure out what that direction is going to be, and they will tread this water very carefully. But, uh, but knowing the, the two major you know, key players in the TPP, uh, Huang Guochang and Huang Shanshan, they have very distinct. Um, roles and experiences uh, Huang Sun-san is a very experienced uh, legislator, previously served uh, many decades in Taipei City Council uh, and on the other hand Huang Guo-chang uh, previously only served one turn in the uh, in the legislature, but he's been known to have a competitive style and have a not, no bullshit and not, never backing down style in, in terms of the, the agendas he's championing, so, um, so we'll see what exactly the direction they choose to take. But on one point or another, they, they will have to talk with one party to make sure things get, get done.
0: So, Ross, the TPP will eventually have to pick sides, and at least one of its members might be seen having 50 cuffs.
1: Well, one thing where I disagree with what Xiao said kind of indicated the Gomidang might be a bit more restrained because they have to reflect that they hold the speakership and, and are the largest party. But a lot of the fighting or the chanting that occurs, it's just reactive, right? So uh, if you assume, and I do assume, that DPP is going to be on the floor of the legislature with signs and chanting and trying to obstruct uh, the, the speaker and, and the, the uh, proceedings, uh, which, which uh I think we could safely assume that they will periodically do because that's the style that the minority party in the legislature usually uses. Um, the Kuomintang will react in kind, right? They're, they're, they're not going to sit there quietly and just smile. No, they'll get on the floor and, and they'll try to chant, outchant the DPP or they'll get into pushing and shoving like we saw earlier this week. So uh, I, I don't expect the Chinese Nationalist Party to behave themselves in, in the legislative un And what about the TPP? uh I, I expect they'll get caught in the middle literally and figuratively. <laughs> so they should you know, be in the gym and improve their their uh, their fighting
0: ability. I mean, do you see this happening quicker than later? I mean, do you think do you think they have a few months of this legislative session before the TBB finally gets dragged into something that leads to some pushing, shoving, shouting, and yelling in the legislative chamber?
1: Well, if there's pushing and shoving uh, from one perspective, you don't want to be left out. You know, if you're si- if you just sit on the side and watch, you're not going to get onto the the daily talk shows, all right. So if you're a TPP legislator and you want to make that appearance money for for getting on a talk show, you got to have some role in 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 the uh, arguing, in the fighting, right, Gavin?
0: I'm not sure about that. I mean, this is not baseball. There's no bench clearing going on here.
1: Well, that's because the whole bench is already uh, standing in
0: in the middle of the floor, chanting and holding up signs. And yeah, I mean, do you think that Kerwin-Jerr could have told them to try to avoid this type of behaviour?
2: Well, he might try, but TPP is not known for a party with a very strict discipline, right? So they, um, for example, if you look at the, the list of legislature, the, the um you can see that they are all from different backgrounds and ideologies. So, um, and they, right now, they, they the, the, the party doesn't seem to have a, a central ideology that people can point to. So that it's hard to, well, Koen Zhe might issue some direct orders when they need to gear up the votes or whip the votes for... A certain issue, but um, but in terms of uh, behaviorally, I don't think Cohen uh, because if you look at the the, the speaker vote, there's even the uh, so one member of the TPP legislator who just refused to vote for. Uh, what the, the other members are voting for. So I, I think that's a sign of uh, what kind of, uh, uh, it's a difficulty to run such a, a third party because uh, I have some uh, first-hand experience in, in, in terms of uh, MPP, the new power party, the last time uh, was holding the third party uh, status. And it is really a hard job when you, whether you, if you side with one party, you'll be accused of uh, a little blue or a little can, uh, green Party, uh, so that, that is really something that need that need to talk against. But but also to return to Russ's point, um, I do think that chanting and pushing in legislature uh, is perfectly normal for Taiwanese people. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what I was saying is that we we probably not gonna see full on battle just like last time. Uh, that is like you see the, the whole great line and people, uh, you know grabbing people's, you know, uh, groins and all that stuff, <laughs> just like happened in the last term. But um, we'll see. I think it's going to be a little more civil, but I don't I don't expect to see a very uh, uh, civil and peaceful said, in this term. It's definitely going to be chaotic.
0: And of course, Ross, the legislative speaker himself has somewhat of a history of getting rather boisterous in the legislative chamber.
1: Yeah, that's true, and, and that's also you know his personality. He's a very outgoing guy. He, he's not reserved, uh, but uh, you know, I, I think if there's anyone in the in the nationalist party who's going to adhere to what Xiao was talking about, it's probably going to be him. I mean, I don't expect him to get down into the floor. Uh, um, and start grabbing DPP legislators himself. I think uh, he recognizes the, the seriousness of being the Speaker. Uh, and anyway, he's got over 50 colleagues who could who could do the pushing and shoving. So I don't think he'll, he'll get involved in that himself, despite his illustrious history uh, uh, as a legislator way back in the
0: 1990s. And as we touched on food safety issues in the story we've just talked about. We'll go into a bit of detail as to what food safety issues the KMT was calling on the Premier to address. The first being controversy over the presence of a banned leanness additive in a Taiwan sugar pork product, that product being frozen sliced Boston butt. Now the controversy over the presence of the additive was sparked after tests by the Taichung Health Bureau found trace amounts of Cymbuterol, while similar tests carried out by the government were negative for the same additive. That led to a verbal back and forth between the minister. Of Agriculture and the Ministry of Health and the Taichung City Health Bureau. The Food and Drug Administration this week, though, hosted what it called expert meetings to investigate the presence of the additive in the Taiwan sugar pork product. One of those meetings focused on the butchering to market process, while the other focused on the livestock farm and slaughterhouses at the centre of the leanless additive controversy. Now, according to the FDA, Basically, the Office of Food Safety is now going to comply the outcomes of said meeting when they wrap up, which they wrapped up on Thursday, and the Cabinet will announce the findings sometime in March. Meanwhile, the other food safety issue was the discovery of Sudan 3, an industrial dye that is not allowed in food products. Now, instructions were issued to remove a brand of chilli powder produced by a food maker in Yunlin County from store shelves two weeks ago after it was discovered to contain the carcinogenic dye. Now, the case since expanded this week after it was confirmed that the carcinogenic dye imported from China by a new Taipei-based company had been sold to seven local food producers. Now, one of them was a Kaohsiung-based company that used it to produce the hugely popular Xia Weixian Spicy Shrimp Snacks, Xiao. So, obviously, one, one's a bit of a questionable food safety issue, and the other one is obviously like, maybe you should check the chilli powder when it comes into the country first.
2: Yeah, this food safety issues has been you know very serious to Taiwanese people because we have been going through uh, the the, the Dinshin incident where they use uh, recycled oil in, in their foods. So and and so going forward, I mean, there's a lot of food companies uh, who just got very uh, popular by championing food safety issues like Emei. Um, they specifically invest a lot of money in the food safety laboratory and make sure um, that's part of their food processing process but um just speaking to the taichung um, incident it is really like a, a mystery case where uh one side is claiming the the issues but uh, the central government is saying it, it is questionable because only some batches contend them and some batches not um so th- that is more like an incident of like misinformation because uh, in in, especially during the election campaign, there's a lot of uh, misinformation or disinformation that's going on and, and that's used to be causing uh, panic uh, among the public. So I, I hope that this uh, the government, both the local government and central government, get to the bottom of that to make sure that if there's a food safety issue, it's being addressed properly. But if it's not, uh, the source of disinformation and should be investigated as well.
0: And what about the shrimp snacks? Do you do you eat these shrimp snacks? They're okay, very famous.
2: Oh, yeah, I mean, everybody eats them. It's my favorite snack. So um, hearing that they use uh, the, the additive from China really horrifies me and a group of my friends. So we, make, we want to make sure uh, whoever's responsible gets uh, gets investigated and make sure this uh kind of um, harmful substance gets rooted out of taiwan
1: i was wondering why xiao's face has a has a
2: reddish tone to it <laughs> <There you go. laughs>
0: now we know the answer yes. sudan three yes yeah. so ross obviously you're a vegan a vegetarian and jewish so you don't eat pork but i mean what do you make of this pork is you, what apparently they're saying one batch of boston butt was tainted which seems to be odd because if there was if there was a leanless enhancer in the pork, the pig, wherever, you thought more than one batch would be tainted.
1: Maybe so. Maybe an employee uh, was having a snack of human food and threw some of it on the floor in front of this pig to give a, give the pig a snack while while he was al- while the young pig was alive before it got turned into Boston butt food. Um, you know, there, there could be really strange answer for why a single uh, sample turn, turned up this this additive. Uh, but ju- just like our earlier discussion with the Coast Guard administration, hopefully the fighting between the, the municipal authorities in Taichung and, and the central government agencies involved will, will end, and they'll just give us some transparency you know, just so that people can eat uh, w- w- with a feeling of, uh, securities. You know, they don't have to worry that every bite has something poisonous in it or something that's been banned. And the same would apply with, with the use of this dye as well, which clearly is not supposed to be uh, in, uh, used with food. And uh, unscrupulous manufacturers, uh, including the one who makes Xiao's favorite snack, um, apparently are, are using this. You know, it's kind of gross. Do you think these issues will continue though, Ross? I mean, when do you. uh, Of course they will. Gavin, come on, you've been in Taiwan like 30 years. (laughs) What do you think? This is the first, one, and only never to happen again food
0: safety incident? No, these two specific ones.
1: Uh, i i 'm going to take a guess that that maybe the the pork is 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 a, just an unusual uh, one off incident and and again hopefully we 'll find the answer why such a small sample size had it and when most samples don 't have it uh, but but the dye uh, i 'm going to assume that that's uh, the use is, is fairly widespread and we see you know whether it 's chili powder or or shrimp snacks. Uh, uh, it's used in a, in a variety of different foodstuffs to give the food uh, that that reddish uh, color that I guess consumers like. They like when they're eating chili, they expect to see some red. So
0: Xiao likes it because his face is red. <laughs> <laughs>
1: For somebody who's so anti-China, it's, it's too bad that he's he's, he's now red. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, as I said, I, I assume that the the use of Sudan three is probably more widespread than than we realized.
0: And moving on now, Transport Minister Wang Tsai this week told reporters that if Beijing shows goodwill regarding tourism and other issues, the government may lift its ban on China-bound tour groups from June. Now, according to Wang, that goodwill will require the Chinese government to allow its nationals to travel to Taiwan as tourists. The minister also said Beijing needs to respect Taiwan's sovereignty and reach an agreement regarding the recent adjustment of the M503 flight plan. Now, he explained that the Tourism Administration chose to ban tour groups from visiting China from June following the flight path incident in late January and also because Nehru severed diplomatic ties with Taiwan earlier the same month and the transport minister also stressed that the tourism administration moved to ban group travel to China and that move is legal, saying that article 53 of the Act for the Development of Tourism allows government agencies to punish those who jeopardise the success of the country. Now according to that regulation, the operators of hotels travel, tourist amusement enterprises or homestay facilities who tarnish national dignity, damage national interest, violate good morals or defraud tourists, can be fined up to 150,000 NT and he went on to say that if a serious offence occurs that jeopardises the success of the country, well offenders businesses licence can be revoked Needless to say the transport minister's comments though were met with both anger and ridicule in some circles. Travel associations whose members organised tours to China accused the government and not the tourism administration of making the decision to suspend group tours to China. China, arguing that it was purely a political move. So Ross, for a government that turns around every other word and says the word democracy and freedom, I find banning people from going on holiday wherever they want to go on holiday, however they want to go on holiday, to be off. Well, remember,
1: Gavin, they can't ban people from going individually to China. But if you Uh, want to go in a group, you you can't go with a tour group. uh, You know, something organised by a travel agency that that is banned. And uh, this is clearly political. Uh, I, I, I don't see how it benefits Taiwan at all. I thought the justifications, you know, c- citing the article of, of a relevant act, which really seems to be about domestic tourism, not uh, overseas outbound tourism. But he's using it now to. Uh, interfere with the outbound tourism market and, and tour agencies are understandably upset. I mean, his demands just seem a bit ridiculous. You know, oh, well, we want, we want China to do this and that. I mean, you know, he wants China to do things that China has never done or will never do for, you know, respect Taiwan's sovereignty. What does it have to do with, with tour? I mean, tour groups have been visiting China for how many decades? Uh, it was never a condition from the Taiwan government that, that China needs to respect Taiwan's sovereignty in order for tour groups to go to a uh, city in China I mean, it just seems really ridiculous and you're just hurting the local tour operators uh, who can't do the business that they previously did.
0: And Xiao I mean do you think tour groups should be, able to, if you can go to China as an individual, do you think tour groups should be able to go there and what's the problem?
2: Well I, I totally agree with Ross's point, and we should not you know um should not ban tour groups to go into China. I mean, that's their freedom or wherever they want to go as individuals or as tour groups. Um, On the other hand, I mean, during the election season, we see um, a lot of uh, Chinese-sponsored tour groups to China. So that is where happens normally uh, in local temples or schools where people can sign up to really, really cheap um, tickets uh, and trips to some chinese destinations and and the reason being it's so cheap uh people find out that is that there's some uh chinese money that's sponsored these kind of trips and some even being uh investigated or prosecuted as being violation of the uh the anti uh infiltration act uh, that's newly uh erected uh Few few years ago, so I mean, there, there's definitely national security concerns if uh, uh, Chinese money keep funnel into Taiwan and then sponsor groups and then they go to China and then uh, people would arrange them to meet with local Chinese officials and then give them some kind of quote-unquote brainwash sessions or even um, quote-unquote directions of uh, uh, certain activities that, that may bring some concerns but uh, barring that I don't, think, I don't think that Taiwan being a democratic and free country should really restrict uh, its citizens movements during their holidays so Ross, the government's worried about the Manchurian candidate that
1: that occurs with a very small number of outbound tour groups and, and usually that occurs in the election campaign season that China is is funding and there was a lot of news about this last year during the campaign season. they're funding you know local very local level officials from here in Taiwan to go go on a trip to China. It clearly didn't change the election outcome result though um but the, the vast majority of people here which are, you know we're talking about people who just want to go on a t- go with a organized tour group to you know cities in china or scenic spots in china uh, i think frankly that the government just sounds absolutely ridiculous with the ban
0: it does really. i love this quote by the it was it was in fact the Travel association of chinese which is based in taiwan yeah it, it turned around and it said that large numbers of Taiwanese visit the United States, but the government never requires the same number of Americans to visit Taiwan.
1: <laughs> well, that's true. Uh, you could probably make that argument about wherever Taiwanese go, like Japan and, and other overseas destinations. Again, I I, I think the government is just acting ridiculous, and I think the minister should uh, drop the ban immediately.
0: I mean, why do you think they're doing it? I mean... It, it, is it to talk tough on China? And if they talk, if they if they think this is talking tough on China, surely it must be falling on rather deaf ears. I think th- it's clearly
1: political, but it, but I think also it, it really has anything to do with the numerous issues that that the uh, minister identified. Oh, this needs to be changed. China needs to do this, and then we'll let outbound groups. I think a lot of this has to do with whether or not to allow inbound tourism from china in tour groups uh there was that period of time during the ma administration and and several years into Tsai's first term where we saw chinese tour groups all over taiwan and people um, in the tourism industry made a lot of money from those visiting chinese tour groups i think the government here uh is just really really reluctant to allow in chinese tour groups Uh, but but these kinds of issues are connected i mean if you're allowing outbound tour groups to go from Taiwan to China, how could you continue to ban inbound tour groups? So, so then they start making all these excuses. Well, China needs to do this. They need to treat us fairly, et cetera, et cetera. You know, things that are never going to happen. Uh, but I do think it's, it, it's connected to whether or not Chinese tour groups can come to
0: Taiwan. Because individual Chinese nationals can come to Taiwan, Xiao, but of course the government in Beijing banned tour groups from coming to Taiwan
2: right I mean so this is definitely a political issue right because Chinese been China government has been using you know exports imports and tourist groups as a leverage on uh, what kind of uh, um, deal they want to get out of the Taiwan government um, but on the other hand there is some reasoning behind you know Taiwanese government worrying um, groups going to China is because you know the, the China today is not China three or five years ago, right? Their environment is becoming increasingly more draconian and then their control on, uh, of their citizens or even tourists is increasingly harsh. Uh, we've seen a lot of incidents of Taiwanese tourists, individual tourists uh, being snatched up in China for no reason and then people who have nowhere, no no idea where they, they went are being held held that and then just a couple of years later they are being released and we know we learn the the horrible conditions under which they disappear so I think that is a part of the reason that the Taiwan government is very uh, cautious in in, in in this kind of uh, tourism because they don't want to see that Taiwanese citizens being held against their world um, in China and also they don't want to see uh, Chinese tourists in Taiwan where they have uh, other motives uh, other than uh, tourism. So th- this is a very uh sensitive issue. I think uh we should take this slow. I don't think there's been a big problem
1: though with um, Chinese tour groups from Taiwan. There's not a lot of, there's not a problem with runaways. And as far as I know when those Chinese tour groups were coming to Taiwan they were spending money at at, at Sun Moon Lake or Taipei 101. You know, they weren't laying planting bombs around Taiwan's critical infrastructure. Uh, so uh, I, I get it that they're, they're, in theory there are some concerns about the safety or the prudence of, of allowing Chinese tour groups to visit Taiwan, but I, I just don't think the record shows that there's a, there actually was a problem.
0: Of course, the, Xiao, the transport minister, also mentioned the fact that because Chinese tourists don't come here, the local tourism industry is suffering. But uh, does Beijing care?
2: Oh, definitely not. Right. <laughs> Maybe they care in the sense that whether the uh the, the, the tourist industry will put on pressures on Taiwanese government to get what they want. Um but uh, th- that has always been used as leverage, so I think they will use whatever they can to make sure that uh, things turn out their, their way but uh ju- just to answer some of Russ's point uh, there's no records showing that Chinese tourists doing you know espionage in Taiwan, but because of the draconian control happening in china the the, the, the Chinese you know tourists in Taiwan has been uh, reluctant to, you know, describe whatever you know wonderful things in Taiwan that see because you see a lot of YouTubers from China, uh, and when they put on YouTube videos, we we'll o- almost always see them get into troubles when they go back to China. So these kind of things keep happening, uh, and we see a lot of uh, YouTubers like running out of China, um, and maybe. Seeking political asylum in other countries, uh, describing what kind of um, harsh conditions, uh, this kind of control on, on speech, it's happening in China. So I think this all figures into this tourism issue because it's just not very simple as people taking vacations. Um, There's the, the, are going on behind the
0: scenes. I find that kind of ironic. That YouTubers in China can you even get YouTube in China? <laughs> Uh, you, you have
1: to jump over the firewall. Oh,
0: you have to use a VP. You have to break the law. Yes. Oh, there yes. we go. Sorry. Yeah. Wow, wait, but, as far,
1: but as far as I know, Chinese tourists who come to Taiwan, they put the same crap content on the on on, on Internet as all other tourists do. You know, they went to the night market. Here's what they ate. I, I love the stinky tofu, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I think for the most part, Chinese tourists who've come to Taiwan uh, have a positive experience and as I said earlier, it does represent uh, a part of the economy and, and you know a lot of people have lost money because this has disappeared.
0: And that's what well, we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Ross Feingold. Have a great weekend. And by Xiao Xing Chung. Good night, everyone. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favorite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows.
2: Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the
1: week
0: with we Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT
2: FM 100.